In a world where some of the greatest motion pictures ever made are reaching their 30th anniversaries, one group of friends gathered together to pay tribute to these films. Pat Cantagallo. Dennis Matouche. Jeff Mazuka. Bo Warmbold. Each week, we take a look back at one movie that is reaching that 30-year milestone. Whether you love seeing these films in the theater or enjoying them for the first time at home, we invite you to join us this year as we travel back in time to 1986. I am your host, John Reed, and you're listening to the 30-something movie podcast. All right, welcome to episode number 54 of the 30-something movie podcast. This time around, we're going back to school, and not the Rodney Dangerfield one, although that one's a great one. That will be later this year. Uh, this time around, we're, we are going to Harvard Law School, but Harvard's expensive. Cause it, it's because we're smart. It's because we're smart, right. We're SMRT smart. Um, but Harvard's expensive, so what could we possibly do to afford it? We could hmm. get jobs and work hard and earn that money. Nah, no, that, okay. that's that's not really our style. Um, let's we'll we'll think about that. We'll think about that for a few what, minutes. What what if we pretend like we we have a, a horrible case of affluenza, mm-hmm. and we don't know how to earn anything for ourselves because we're just raised in an environment where we just get what we want. Right, right. Well, and I'm not responsible Sorry. for my environment, so that's, that's it's true. It's the way I was it's raised. True. So I don't feel like it's it's not my problem. It's not my problem. Okay, we'll we'll, we'll get into that. Um, just as a quick disclaimer, we do tend to spoil the events of pretty much every movie we talk about. Um, so if you haven't seen it yet, you may want to watch the movie first. Um, but if you don't care about being spoiled, we might be able to give you some reasons why you should go watch it, or let you know if you can you know save some time because you know time is money. And clearly, Darth Vader is Luke's father. All right. Spoiler alert. Darth Vader is Luke's father. Tyler Durden isn't real. Okay, now I have found a few people that still have not seen Fight Club, so that might be. What else you got? Bruce Willis was dead the whole time. Oz was a dream. Bruce Willis was dead the whole time in Die Hard? (laughs) No, but his career soon after. (laughs) Well, you know. Hey, Die Hard 2 was good. Um, Die Harder. And, and Die Hard with a Vengeance. I like that one. Um, why do you keep calling me Jesus? Um, see, now there's another movie that deals with racial issues. Um, speaking of doing somebody a favor, you know, because we do you a favor here by you know, talking about these movies and, and either giving you recommendations or telling you to you know, save some time and go watch something else on Netflix. Uh, but speaking of doing somebody a favor, we would absolutely love it if you could take just a moment and head on over to iTunes. If you're listening to this on the podcast, you know you, you can just pause that right there. Go on over to iTunes and leave us a review because we'd really appreciate that. We are doing this because we love movies and because we're having fun with it. Um, but we would love to know if there's something that you would like us to do differently. You know, if, there's, if you're listening to this, you're like, you know, I really wish these guys would talk more about this. Um, then leave us a review. Let us know what you like about the show. Um, if you're going to let us know what you don't like about the show, be very, very gentle because Jeff and some of the other guys, the, their egos, super fragile. So just let that be out there. Super what? Fragile. 
I said that because I'm Italian. Yes. Dude, not cool. Not cool. I'll do what I did for Pat one of the last times we had a, a discussion about ethnicities, and I'll play the um, Godfather music right underneath while we're talking here. All right, but if I wake up with a horse head in my bed, it's on. I, I'm not even going to go there. Um, so as of right now, I am joined with one of my illustrious co-hosts, Jeff, and the others. We're having some, I think we're uh, having some technical issues here and there. So I think Pat, uh, Pat's going to be joining us maybe in just a little bit. Uh, Pat is always having technical issues, though. So, um, And then I had Dennis, and they had the worst excuses for not coming on tonight. Bo and Dennis both said that they were having plumbing trouble at their house. Which I think is, I think that's the new, I'm washing my hair. It's not funny to anyone that's never seen Dennis or Bo. Well, that, that's that's true too. Yeah, Dennis does not have hair, so that's... And there's, yeah, that's I, I found it funny, John. Right. I, I appreciate your humor. Well, I'm just saying like in general, it's like, no, I can't tonight. I'm washing my hair. It's just like in general, it's kind of a lame excuse. Like for two people to all of a sudden have toilet trouble at their house. I don't know, it depends on what they ate, I guess. All right. I, I guess. Yeah. Um, so real quick, before we start talking about Soul Man, because that's what we are here to talk about tonight, um, was there anything in the news? I got a couple things that came up in the news lately about other movies, like ones coming out this year. A um, couple things that came out lately that I didn't know if you, Jeff, had seen. Um, there were a couple of little video snippets for some movies that are coming up soon that came out. Did you happen to see the little quick teaser thing for the new Ghostbusters movie. I did not. I heard that it came out today. I was busy with some other stuff, so I didn't get a chance to play around on movie sites and, and do some digging, but I'm looking forward to seeing it. Yeah, there wasn't much to it. It was like it was a group of, I think it just some different shots of police and other, I don't know if it's military or whatever, lining up and aiming towards something that looks like it's up in the sky or, or at least in front of them. And then the big words, it kind of flashed big words on the screen. Who, you, gonna, call. And then it just showed kind of the last image of all these cops and other people like waiting, holding fire, ready to, to shoot at something or attack something. And then that was pretty much it. Didn't show any of the actors, didn't show anything else. So it was just a, a teaser trailer. Showed the logo then at the very end of this little kind of whistling tune of the Ghostbusters theme, but didn't really show anything else. All right. No. Have you seen the trailer for Jungle Book? I, I did. You know, I saw that. Uh, I saw that at the Super Bowl. I thought that one looked pretty good. I'm really intrigued by it. it. It looks like it's trying to hold true to the Disney animated without abandoning it completely to introduce more of what um, what the novel was actually trying to do yeah so i'm really excited it's got some great voice talent it looks incredible yeah um i think pat are you here with us now i am here with you can Ooh. you can you hear me we can hear you you're kind of like if anybody's seeing this on the on the uh google hangout feed that'll be on youtube pat's kind of like when you get somebody that's an informant for something you, you can't <laughs> yeah, see his I face the, i see myself in the picture i look like i've got to distort my voice Hang right on, I'm here. I'm here to talk about Soul Man, but I don't want anybody to know who I really am. So, all right. Okay. Uh, is that is that better? Oh, now we can see. I don't know. Yeah, we can see you now. So I don't know if that's better. I don't know if it's better. Yeah, but... that's, yeah, that's right. That's right. 
Well, we were talking. We were talking real quick. We haven't got to Soul Man yet. We were just talking real quick about anything that came in the news lately on movies and other stuff. Um, there was a quick video that came out. I think it was today of a few seconds. It looks like it's a few seconds, maybe, of Episode Eight um, for really? Star Wars. Yeah. Yeah, and it was very few seconds. It's it's hardly anything because oh, it, okay. it looks like it's the very end of episode seven. Um, it's just a, a shot for a few seconds of Luke Skywalker's face from the side, and then mm-hmm. you get a quick shot of of Ray um, handing a lightsaber over, and so and, and then that was it. Then it goes to a shot of Ryan Johnson, the director of episode eight, saying okay. something like, "Cut," you know. Welcome, everybody, welcome to episode eight, and then everybody starts applauding. But you can tell that they're filming on the island. Um, that was featured at the end of the Force Awakens. That's cool. So. And and I don't want to I don't want to derail the Soul Man talk, but I mean I, I can't remember if I stop me if I've spoken to you guys about this, but um, that island is uh, Irish right off the um, mm-hmm. yes, it's called, uh, it's called Skellig Michael. The, yeah, and yeah. there's a really cool history about the monks were real uh, recluse. You know, they would just they would go up there to get away from everything. Uh, it's very rugged terrain like i mean it looks like you're going to literally fall off the side of the island and um i, I want to say it's it's cool because i guess there's parallels to the monks in the monastery that was there it's parallel to kind of you know a little bit of why you know luke skywalker was trying to get away luke skywalker was trying to escape from something luke skywalker was going and soul searching why he disappeared and in reality that skellig michael island that's what the monks would do there yeah and supposedly, they when they filmed Star Wars or when they showed it, the the people that lived on the island, the monks or whatever, were the first people to see Star Wars. Like oh, they had yeah. a special screening for the people on Skellig Michael. Well, you can do that so when when you've taken when you've taken a vow of silence. You can show people a movie because you know they're not going to tweet about it. Or yeah, that's right. It's not like there's the Skellig Michael Star Wars podcast. Right. Well, maybe there is. We just don't know about it. That's true. It's just a bunch of silence. Yeah. It's not a very good podcast. Um, the other video that came out lately was the last trailer for Batman versus Superman, or what some people are calling, uh, they're shortening it up, and it's, um, what is it, Batman v Superman Dawn of Justice, and they're shortening it up to the acronym uh, Bivis Dodge. Bivis so, Dodge? So Bivis Dodge. So the, uh, the last trailer uh, came out for Bivis Dodge, and... Um, I, apparently, I've heard some rumors that some people are worried about it. Like they're they're kind of worried about the movie. I guess some people had seen. There were rumors that people had seen some early screenings, and mm-hmm. they were they were a little worried about the movie. Oh, uh, aren't you one of the people that's a little worried about the movie? It depends, or are you just? Caught? It depends on which preview I see. Okay. So if I if I look, I see one preview, and I'm like, oh, I'm I'm ready for this one. Let's go see it. And then I see another preview. I'm like, that's that's not right. Mm-hmm. So you know, I'm kind of I'm at the point now where I just need to go see the movie, and then I'll I'll right. I'll reserve judgment until I see it. Right. So. Right. But that's kind of where yeah. I'm at. I have to check that preview out. I saw that it was up, but I didn't watch it. Yeah. It just it seems like there's. I don't know. It just seems like they're throwing so many characters into. I would have liked to have seen a sequel to Man of Steel, you know, with with Superman being the main character, and it seems like they're just throwing everybody in this movie, 
it, it seems like they heard a rumor about Marvel doing their big thing where there's going to be like 67 Marvel characters all in the Avengers Infinity War movie. And, yeah. and DC was like, well, we could do that too. And then just like taking every superhero they could think of and, and throwing them into this one. Now, I'm, I'm sure they'll probably all show up like in the last five seconds of the movie. But the problem um, with that is the problem with that is Marvel's had, I mean, how many different movies to develop all these characters? See, that's the nice thing. They, when you get into a, you know, if you put 67 people in the, in the thing, most of those characters have been developed either right. through the Avengers movies, through the Captain America movies, through the special, you know, Ant-Man, Iron Man, Hulk, all these characters have been developed. So when you do the Marvel does the big blockbuster movie, all the characters are developed and it's, you know, you don't, you know, you, you kind of know what that guy is and what he's about. Right. He does that. Well, that's been a little bit more fractured, you right. know? Right. Um, so I don't know. Yeah. We'll have to wait and see. Yeah. So this time around, we are going to be talking the movie Soul Man. It came out October 24th, 1986. It is rated PG-13 uh, for some implied sexuality. Nothing shown on screen, though. Um, nothing really shown on screen. Mild violence, um, some language, definitely some uh, racial slur uh, and jokes made throughout the movie. Um, the director of this was Steve Miner. He directed Friday the 13th, Part 2 and 3. He directed the movie House. Uh, he also directed some episodes of The Wonder Years and the movie Forever Young. Producers for this one were Steve Tisch. Uh, he did Risky Business, Forrest Gump, American History X, Snatch, and The Pursuit of Happiness, among others. Writer for this one is Carol Black. Uh, this was probably the most interesting one to me, is that she is the one who went on to create The Wonder Years and Ellen, the TV show. Uh, music was done by Tom Scott. Uh, he did music for Conquest of the Planet of the Apes and the TV show Family Ties. We There is no information I could find about the budget for this movie, but it was a box office success. It did make $27.8 million. All right, our actors in this one, C. Thomas Howell played Mark Watson. He was in E.T., The Outsiders, Red Dawn, Gettysburg, and Gods and Generals. Ray Don Chong played Sarah Walker. She was in Quest for Fire, Commando, one of Pat's favorite movies, and The Color Purple. Uh, Ari, I still don't know. I tried to look up and see how you pronounce this guy's name. Uh, Gordon Bloomfeld's name. Um, Ari Gross. We'll go with that. Uh, he was in Minority Report. Uh, he was on the TV show Ellen. Um, and oddly enough, he was the original narrator for The Wonder Years when they did the pilot. But then after they did the pilot episode, they actually went back and re-recorded it uh, with, what was the guy's name? Was it Daniel Stern? Or something like that, who ended up being the voice of the narrator for the Wonder Years for the rest of the, the run of the show. <laughs> James Earl Jones played Professor Banks. Uh, he was in Dr. Strangelove, a little indie film called Star Wars. He was also in Conan the Barbarian, Field of Dreams, Lion King, and every announcement for CNN or the Olympics. Uh, Melora Hardin uh, was Whitney Dunbar. She was in Iron Eagle, The Rocketeer, The Hot Chick, and The Office. Leslie Nielsen, uh, who died back in 2010, was Mr. Dunbar. He was in Airplane and the Naked Gun movies, among a whole bunch of other comedy films. Anne Walker played Mrs. Dunbar. She was in Father of the Bride Part Two and Jagged Edge. James Sicking played Bill Watson. Uh, he was in the TV show Hill Street Blues, uh, Doogie Howser, M.D. Uh, he, was the, he was Mark Watson's dad, the one who wouldn't pay for him to go to uh, law school. He was also Doogie Howser's dad in Doogie Howser, M.D., uh, he was also in the movie The Pelican Brief. 
Max Wright played Dr. Aronson. He was the psychiatrist. He was in the movie Reds, The Shadow, and he was the dad on ALF. Uh, Jeff Altman played the uh, kind of the building supervisor, the building superintendent, uh, Ray McGrady. He was in Highlander 2, The Quickening, and The Bee Movie. Uh, Julia Louise Dreyfus played Lisa Stimson. She was in Troll, Hannah and Her Sisters, Christmas Vacation, Seinfeld, and many episodes of Saturday Night Live. Uh, Mari Cheatham was Mrs. Dorothy Watson. She was in Beetlejuice and Mr. and Mrs. Smith. Ron Reagan, or Ronald Reagan Jr., actually President Ronald Reagan's son, uh, played Frank. He was Ronald Reagan's son, obviously, and uh, was a radio host and regular guest on political talk shows. Uh, he's been in, I think, a couple of other movies, but nothing, nothing of note. And then this one I picked out because... I did not realize this at the time, but and, and she has a very small part in the film. Amy Stock, who played the girl in bed at the very beginning of the movie, she was Missy from Bill and Ted. Uh, Bill and Ted's, um, I forget which one. Was it Ted's? No, Bill's dad's girlfriend. Was it Bill's oh dad's girlfriend? Gosh, that was her, huh? Yeah, whichever girlfriend. At some point in time, I think they were like, I think she was each dad's girlfriend. She, uh, she, she was the, yeah, she was the, the stepmother of, of, uh, was it Bill? Bill and yeah. then, um, and then the second, and, in the second movie in Bogus Journey, it was Ted's stepmom. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, all right. So Rotten Tomatoes, the critics gave this one a 14%. The audience gave it a 33%. Uh, between Siskel and Ebert, they both reviewed it on At the Movies. They both gave it a thumbs down. Uh, Ebert in the Sun-Times gave it a one out of four stars. Uh, this movie has no awards unless you want to count a whole bunch of websites listing it as one of the top racist movies of all time. Um, so a little bit about this movie. The plot summary, Mark Watson is a young man from an upper-class family who has been given pretty much anything he has ever wanted. When he and his buddy Gordon are accepted into Harvard Law School, it is the fulfillment of their greatest wish. However, Mark's father reveals he's going to allow Mark to grow up for once and pay his own way through law school. Unfortunately, Mark has no credit history and no means of securing a loan, so his dreams of law school are vanishing faster than his parents' financial support. His only hope is to apply for and be awarded a scholarship. Unfortunately for him, it's intended for a black student. Mark decides to overdose on tanning pills in order to artificially darken his skin, and he takes the scholarship. He quickly discovers that life as a black student at Harvard is not quite what he bargained for. Harvard Law School. Yeah! Tuition and fees, $10,493. Harvard Law School, this is a big day for all of us. That's why I've decided to let you pay your own way. Estimated annual living expenses. You ever applied for a loan before? $7,500. Mr. Watson, you don't pay your bills. Get out. Total for three years of law school. Wait a second, look at this. Full tuition for the most qualified applicant. Most qualified black applicant. $53,979. Don't you think you're overreacting? No. Congratulations, Mr. Watson. Thank you, sir. I'll do my best. Some people will do anything to get into Harvard. It's gonna be great! These are the 80s, man! It's the Cosby decade! For Mark Watson, all it took was a little soul. I'd like you to meet my good friend, Kareem Abdul Ali. We got Washington here on a coin toss, so he'll take Leon. That's Watson. Right. Sorry, Marcus. Yeah, there may be a problem here. Your roommate was a, uh... <clears throat> what? A black Negro. 
He didn't give up. He got down. All right. So I got a little bit of background on this movie. Uh, C. Thomas Howell and Ray Don Chong actually met for the first time during the filming of this movie. Uh, They were married shortly after and I think divorced within about a year. Uh, Tim Robbins was originally meant to play Mark Watson, uh, but had to drop out when filming for Howard the Duck went over schedule. So I don't know which, I don't know if you could say that he dodged a bullet there, but... um, Four years after this movie was released, Harvard Law School's Harvard Law Review actually elected their first black president. Anybody know who that was? Jeff, your hand's up. My answer to your question is Barack Obama. All right. Ding, 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 ding. Jeff wins the prize. There is no prize, but Jeff would win the prize if there was one. I like prizes. There you go. Um, If there was a prize, it would be yours. Absolutely. Thanks, guys. Jeff, you know what? You are the prize. Oh, stop. So you win yourself. Anyway, there... (laughs) Speaking of protests in the community, there were protests in the black community when the film was released, uh, although Ray Don Chong came to the defense of the film and argued that the source of the outcry was predominantly director Spike Lee, who she claimed was jealous and never actually saw the movie. Um, There are some very similar themes uh, to this movie in movies and TV shows such as Tootsie in 1982, uh, the TV show Bosom Buddies, um, Eddie Murphy's skit on Saturday Night Live, White Like Me. Have you guys seen that one before? No. Okay. All right. I'll have to introduce that to you at some point. Um, the basic premise is Eddie Murphy uh, goes in whiteface and tries to see what it's like to be a white person. And he's offered a whole bunch of things for free. And, you know, people just, you know, people approach him on the street. And it's so it's kind of this ridiculous take on, you know, when white people are by themselves, they do really nice things for each other. Um, The other thing that I found, uh, there was actually a book published in 1961. It was written during 1959 when the white journalist John Howard Griffin from Dallas, Texas, artificially darkened his skin in order to experience and record firsthand what it was like to travel as a black man throughout the racially segregated South. Um, That was the book referred, uh, book titled Black Like Me. Um, and I believe there's a movie made about it as well. Um, so this movie is on several different websites listed as the... Um, actually, I'll, I'll take the one that was probably the most prominent. There's a website for a magazine that's based out of New York called Complex.com, and they ranked Soul Man as the number four most racist movie of all time. Um, and here's their here's a quote from their uh, online article. And there may be some... Yeah, there's some... Words in here I'm not going to use since we are attempting to be a family-friendly, clean podcast. Uh, They ranked Soul Man as the number four most racist movie of all time. And they say, quote, when 80s funny man C. Thomas Howell uh, can't afford to pay for college, he puts on blackface and steals a scholarship designated for minorities. Spoiled white boys need affirmative action, too. The most racist part about this movie isn't that he's in blackface, although that's pretty 
racist. Uh, it's the fact that we're supposed to believe that everyone else buys it without even questioning uh, that he just looks like somebody covered in shoe polish. Even his black girlfriend, uh, played by Ray Dong Chong, doesn't catch on after she sees him naked. Which I don't quite understand that, because I don't remember Ray Dong Chong's character ever seeing Mark naked. I think he has that confused with Melora Hardin's character, but that's okay. My other problem with this article in particular, the ranking of the, I think it was like the 50 most racist movies of all time, they rank Planet of the Apes as the number three most racist movie of all time. So I don't know what their criteria was for being racist. But there's, but there's, there's a lot of this out there. There was, you know, even at the time it came out, there was a lot of outcry from, uh, from the black community that this was a racist movie. So, I guess my question is, is this movie something... Let's preface it with this, too. This is going to sound a little bit like um, the Three Amigos when they walk into the uh, the bar in Mexico. When they walk in, they're like, we're not Mexicans. Let me preface it with this. None of us are African-American. We're all a bunch of white guys. So, in some ways, our opinion on certain things may not be valid. But we're going to go ahead and give it a shot anyway, because we're reviewing the movie. I I think in current society we don't get a we, we don't have a right to have an opinion about things like this. Okay. Yeah. I mean, now because we're human, we have rights to opinions, but I think it, by the court of society being white men, we don't get to weigh on the weigh in on these issues. Okay. That being said, I'm going to try, and I'm going to try to not be offensive to anyone. Go for it. So, is this movie racist? At the surface level, absolutely. With what they were trying to do with it, I don't think so. But where they shot themselves in the foot is that they didn't explore things far enough. They didn't explore ideas far enough to make it be about something. They had a lot of opportunity to do something with uh, with, the, with the situations as, as Mark was starting to experience life as a black man. So it could have been a great commentary on uh, social injustice uh, and and just perception. But the movie didn't do that for whatever reason. The movie just ignored really getting into those moments and tried to make it laughable. So the fact that they took the idea of being a black man in society and turn it into something that should be humorous, I think is awful. Okay. I would have I would have appreciated the movie more had it had, had they gone full out and really explored a lot of the issues that they had a perfect opportunity to do so. But because they were too scared or you know they didn't it's like well we don't want to offend anyone. Well guess what you're pretty you pretty much are right from the get-go so may as well try to make this be about something. Yeah rather than tiptoeing around the heavier ideas that they just bring, I mean, they bring up stuff that they then don't even acknowledge. Right. Like, if you're going to bring it up, 
you know, the, the, the two white guys that, that kept telling the black jokes. Yeah. If you're going to keep bringing that up, let's make that about something. Let's really look at how easily what one, what one group of people can perceive to be as funny can be incredibly hurtful to another group of people. But instead, what do we get? The, he eventually punches those two guys. That's it. So is this something that a, that a movie that is meant to be a comedy should never tackle? Well, I, I, I see with this movie, I kind of struggled with what, what was their, what were they really going for with this movie? You know, were they going to talk about racial injustice? Were they going to talk about, um, you know, uh, equality and and seeing things uh, from a, you know, having a white person see something from a black person's perspective? Was that what the movie was really about? Or was the movie really about this really spoiled jerk that, you know, wasn't happy because he didn't get his way and then he has a comedic adventure um, through which he finally understands, oh, well, he has to really work, you know, he understands what's important in life, and he kind of sees the, the error of his ways and, and tries to make amends and all sorts. Is, is, is he the focus? Is that the story? And it's basically just a comedic journey for, this, for the main character, and it just so happens that along the way he, you know, kind of explores the, you know, race relations. You get what I'm saying? Like, I, mm-hmm. what what's the primary focus? Mm-hmm. Is it really a movie about race, and they wanted to do it from a somewhat comedic standpoint, and and you know the the story of the kid was just kind of there to have the movie center on something, or was the movie about you know just basically a comedy about this kid, all right, this jerk that wanted to get into Harvard, and everything else was kind of a a, a byproduct. And if it's the former, I mean, if it's then I think it, I think there were probably any number of ways that it could have been done better and more effectively. And like Jeff, or like I think you guys were saying, should a comedy be the form that we're we're using to address this? And if it's the latter, if they're just kind of using it as as you know a vehicle to tell this, you know this this uh, this lighthearted well lighthearted this comedic story, then shame on them because you, I don't think you should take an issue as big as race relations and use it as a vehicle to, you know, make, try to make people laugh. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if that directly answered your question, but that was kind of my reaction to the movie. What, you know, yeah. before we can answer that question, what, what's, what's the prime focus of the movie? Right. I'm, I think it is possible to take a comedy and use that as a medium to explore and discuss heavier issues. Mm-hmm. I think that's, Absolutely possible. It it just they just didn't do that with this with this particular movie. They didn't do a good job of it. If that, like you said, though, if that's what they set out to do, right? If they set out to dis- try to dis- have a discussion about race and bring race inequality to the forefront, trying to use a comedic movie to do so, they didn't do a great job. If they tried to just make a comedic movie. They made a bad choice. Right. Yeah. Don't make a comedic movie with that as your as that as your driving force or your theme of your of, right. your, of your motion picture. Like and like I said, unless you're really willing to start truly exploring a lot of the issues with with uh, with racial inequality. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. If, yeah. If you're going to tiptoe around it, what's the point of trying to make this movie? Yeah. And I think my, I think the way I approach this movie, and I, for some reason, I remember, did you guys ever, so obviously you had, you didn't see this or, um, back earlier when no. you were younger? No. Okay. So for some reason, I remember seeing this movie because there are certain parts of this movie that I, and I don't know why, maybe it was on, I don't know why it would have been on TV at some point, but it must have been on TV at some point. And somehow I remember seeing this movie and coming back to it and watching it again, um, I look at this movie as, and I, I read up a lot of it, and I listened to some other podcasts and, and kind of their reaction to it. Actually, there's a couple of podcasts that did this just recently because obviously this movie is reaching its 30th anniversary and it's kind of a an interesting thing to talk about when you think about you know what they tried, what they may or may not have tried to do with this or, or even just as a, a look back on, God, why did somebody even make this movie in the first place? Um, and and I look at that, and I, f- I feel like in a certain way, now obviously not with the, there there are very clear parts of this where you just want to put your face in your hands and say, okay, this is not, not cool. This is not, this is bad. This bad choice. But in other ways, as I was watching this movie, I was expecting it to, to just come across as so blatantly wrong and, and racist as possible. I was kind of surprised at the reaction that I had to it. And the reaction I had to it was, I see, I think I see what they're trying to do here. I think I see that what they're trying to do, and, and this is totally my take. I was trying to find articles in which they talked to the actors, in which they talked to the people that made the movie, that wrote the movie, couldn't find anything. Apparently they don't want to talk about this movie because there's not anything anywhere um, on their reasoning behind choices that they made other than C. Thomas Howell. He's the only person really that has gone on record talking about this movie before. But when I watch this movie, I'm looking at it and I'm saying, okay, this movie is, is clearly not for an African-American audience because it, it's offensive. On the other hand, you have a whole bunch of movies from the 70s and from the 80s, movies like with, the, with similar type of humors like Back to School, Animal House, uh, Caddyshack, that kind of stuff. And I'm thinking about those type of movies. And is this an attempt to try to get that audience to think about some type of social issue? And if so, maybe they didn't do it. You know, maybe they totally missed the mark. And that's why people see this movie as being a horribly racist thing. But I don't know. I, I guess when I watch it, I look at it and I think if it's racist, then. I feel like I want some of it to be unintentionally so, that they had good intentions going into it saying, we're going to do this movie in which we try to bring these type of issues to an audience that wouldn't normally sit and think about them. Mm-hmm. Now, some of the scenes that they chose, you know, when, when we watch this, it definitely, for most of the movie, there were certain scenes <clears throat> that are very cringeworthy. Um, but I think... I get what they were trying to do up until you get to the very end when they've got the scene in the you know, like the the judicial review committee where all the students are there and his friend Gordon comes in and gives that big speech. That big speech is where it totally loses me. Like that was big fail, big time. Um, yeah. But up to that point, as I'm watching this movie, I'm thinking, you know what? This is not. I I, I steeled myself for it to be just horribly offensive. And obviously, again, it, my opinion in terms of it being horribly offensive, doesn't count. But in terms of reviewing this movie, 
as I'm watching it, I was surprised at how much I was looking at it going, I think I see what they're trying to do here. They might have missed the mark, but I think I kind of get it. If, if I was going to try to get inside the mind of the writers, because these people did other shows where they tackled other pretty heavy social issues in, you know, in, in the Wonder Years, and they went on to do you know, other movies where they were sensitive to these issues. But when I saw other podcasts and other articles say things like, oh, the writers and the directors are total bigots and the, the producer are total bigots, I, I don't know. I don't know that unless they, unless they got on and said, you know, yes, we, all of the imagery, you know, the, the him standing in front of the noose, um, you know, him acting like uh, Stevie Wonder when, he, when he's trying to hide who he is from his friends, you know, that kind of stuff. Yeah, we did all that on purpose because we thought it'd be hilarious and we, and we wanted to be racist. You know, unless they came right out and said that, then I'm a little, I'm a little worried about trying to attach bigotry to somebody who, you know, hasn't come out and said, well, this is why we did this. Yeah. So I don't know. I, I'm not yeah. that I'm not that I'm defending the movie outright and saying, no, it's a great movie. Everybody should go watch it. But at the same time, I don't think when I saw it, my reaction to it was this is not as horribly offensive as I thought it was going to be. And I think underneath the surface, maybe it's a totally missing the mark or, or missing the mark in some ways. I see what they were trying to do. And I wonder if they were trying to get at an audience that wouldn't normally think about these type of things. And, and is that the time that you do a comedy movie that deals with this type of stuff is if you're trying to get somebody to look at it, that would normally go, I'm not going to a movie like that. Yeah. I tried to look at the, the journey of, uh, of Mark. Yeah. Right. So he has to pretend to be black and all he has to rely on is his white perception of black people. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And a lot of that starts to go away the further he delves into this and the longer that he portrays himself to be a black man. So that's why I said, like, I can kind of see, like, maybe they're trying to start bringing up racial issues right. and inequality issues. Well, especially that dinner oh. scene when he goes to the Dunbars. You've got that dinner scene that's, you know, that takes it to a whole new level. You're, you're looking at, you know, some of the white stereotypes of, of what, um, particularly throughout history and, and in movies and pop culture, you know, what what does it mean to be African-American? Um, yeah. You know, each of the members of the Dunbar is imagining him in a totally different, totally unrealistic way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, I'm sorry, Jeff, did I cut across you? Were you say no, that? no, go ahead. I was going to say, um, you know, I, I kind of, when I started trying to figure this out, I, I tried to, you know, I tried to find, read as many different reviews as I could read what some of the movie people thought, you know, I think I even Googled, uh, Reaction in the black community to the movie Soul Man. You know, I read what James Earl Jones said. I read what Radon Strong said. I read, you know, just to try and get wh where everyone's coming from when they judge a movie. And I, I'll be honest, I read Roger Ebert's review, and his wife was African, or, or well, when they were married, because he's since passed on. But his wife is African American, and it's, and uh, so he has a kind of a, I think, an interesting perspective in the movie. And I think, I mean, I think the guy was a pretty pretty intelligent person as well, but it's interesting because his review goes on and he, he talks about it, and the first paragraph in the interview kind of, in my mind, sums it up. He said, this is a genuinely interesting idea filled with dramatic possibilities. 
which I think was what we're saying. Like you said, that dinner table scene. I mean, it really raises some some. Well, like you said, dramatic possibilities. But the movie approaches it on the level of a dim-witted sitcom. Thoughtful scenes are followed by slapstick. Emotional moments lead right into farce. And the movie doesn't have an ounce of true moral courage. It sidesteps every big issue that it raises. Sort of like what Jeff was saying where, you know, these guys that, you know, are always telling jokes and, you know, the, the, you know, the, the jokes about uh, black people. And they always just kind of uncomfortably laugh and say, hey, sorry. But they never address it. It's just, you know... He punches them, they fly over the tables, and that's it. So I, I think that's what the issue is with the movie is, you know, it, it just it doesn't get deeply into... Yeah, it doesn't go far enough. Yeah. If you're going to go there, then friggin' go there. Yeah. But again, so, yeah. so let, me, let me bring this up as, as devil's advocate. If it's reaching to an audience that wouldn't normally go see a movie that deals with that type of stuff, can you in that one and a half hours go deep enough that you would still keep that audience. Let's I'm just, I'm just saying if that was their goal, you know, we're going to introduce this to like the animal house crowd or the back to school crowd. Um, do you need to keep it somewhat light? Granted, this is a very heavy topic and you know, probably shouldn't be light, but is there a point at which you're trying to balance? Well, we don't want to. We want this audience to think about these things, but we don't want to lose them in the process. Well, I, th I think you would need to keep it light, just because it is a pretty, uh, a pretty heavy-handed topic. Um, yeah. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that. I don't know. I guess to me, it just it it doesn't mean that you should avoid dealing with the seriousness of it. Mm -hmm no matter what medium you're going or what genre of film you're trying to make, yeah. you can, you, you can discuss these issues. You can really bring up these issues, you yeah. know, and, and they just, they failed to do so in, in a, a, a way that gives credibility to the movie. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah. the, and, and the movie really, um, Ebert goes on to say it really comes in two halves. You know, the first half has all these kind of, Silly, farce. What is it? Farcical. I can't say the word farcical. Farcical. Uh, yeah. Farcical. Situations, and then the second half. You know, Ebert says it. Well, it just kind of becomes dreadful. Where you know, um, he's uh, you know he's in the. Uh, what are you trying? What am, I, what am I trying to say? His parents are in the kitchen. Right. The one girl right. that's trying to get in bed with him is in his bedroom. You know, you get into a scene like that, which is just like ridiculous. Maybe. Maybe you do a movie of two halves, but as opposed to making it even more ridiculous and more comedic in the second half, maybe you make it more serious in the second half. You know, and and that would be a way to more appropriately deal with the issues. Yeah, I, part of what I thought was really interested, really interesting, was how they portrayed the different families in this. In that, mm -hmm. you know, they show from the very beginning that he's from the establishing shots of the movie, they show that he's just this, you know, rich, white, preppy kid, and he's got pretty much everything he could ever possibly want, and he really doesn't have to work for it. Um, but then it goes on to show, and, and that was, you know, that was something that I thought was well done, was they went on to show how these, how the, the white families in this movie, if you're going to give a contrast and show somebody that this is how ridiculous your precon preconceived notions are, the white families in this, they're kind of, you know, they're kind of horrible people. 
and mm-hmm. they're they're almost caricatures. Um, you know, so again, maybe you're maybe you're going the other way and stereotyping that. But you've got these really horrible people. You've got the you know Mark's dad is every time he talks to his wife is telling her to shut up. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and then you've got this crazy psychiatrist that is you know just is is carries all this rage for his own children because they haven't worked for anything and he's working to give them everything they want. Then you go to the Dunbars who they have all these, you know, that they're kind of flashing through their own images of, of what they think, uh, African American looking Mark is supposed to be like, whether it's a, uh, you know, a, a pimp or it's a prince or whatever it is. And then you get to, and this is what I really liked, um, that they did was you get to uh, Sarah, Ray Don Chong's family, and they're just normal people. Mm-hmm. They're, they're absolutely normal people. They're nice people. Um, you know, there's, there's nothing, there's not really anything stereotypical about that. Uh, it just at least as far as I could tell. And I did like that part because then if your audience, if your audience is a white audience and you're trying to get them to see, Hey, look at, look at how ridiculous some of these stereotypes are. Mm-hmm. And then look, we've actually we've we've given you an image now. We'll look at the African American characters. Look, they are normal people. So maybe instead of attaching to these stereotypes, you should view other people as normal people. Mm-hmm. Now, the part where I think that kind of fell apart a little bit was the fact that in all of Los Angeles, you only had one black person that qualified to go to Harvard University. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that seems, and then you, and obviously this is just choices that they made. You have the one, uh, the African American character, the the female, uh, Radon Chong's character. Um, you know, she has to be a single mother. She's got a kid. She's yeah. working. She, you know, and then, so then, is that in and of itself stereotypical, or, you know, I, I, and then I wonder, and then I worry that they're kind of missing the mark there by. Saying, "Oh well, you know, we gotta we gotta make sure we gotta show how uh, she's a real person, but life is tough. So she's got a kid, and it, where I think they they did fit some stuff in there that you know made it so that she wasn't just a like a teen mother or something like that was that she was married, and that's how she had the kid. And um, you know, I I don't know. I, I see that. I, I still feel like there are things that I that I see that they were trying to do, and that they were maybe trying to reach a particular audience." And that they just made some really bad choices with some of the other, yeah. some of the other different parts of the movie, particular, and, particularly towards the end. Because um, I, I look at this movie and I think I cannot imagine that somebody like James Earl Jones, I, listening to another podcast and I read a couple of other articles and they said, oh, poor James Earl Jones got dragged into this. I can't imagine that somebody like James Earl Jones got dragged into this. I feel like at some point in time they presented this movie to him and said, this is what we're going to do. Mm-hmm. And if it was so horribly offensive, I, I, maybe I just have I, this, maybe I just have this higher, higher image of James Earl Jones saying, I'm going to do work that's, that's meaningful and good, but maybe it was just a paycheck. Yeah. I, I, I don't know that he had enough Hollywood credibility at that point Yeah. to, um, to have that much say, I mean, I, I mean, I'm sure any actor can decide. I don't want to do this movie. Right, right. But I, I, I don't think that. I mean, okay. So in the 
last 30 years you look at the guy's career and and you can you know romanticize his career right, greatly right. i don't think he was at that point yet in the mid 80s right um so i think we're thinking of james earl jones as we perceive him to be now as a, as opposed to i'm i'm thinking he... of him, i'm thinking of him as darth vader and he can do whatever he wants <laughs> You know, hey, uh, James, we'd like you to be... There's this movie called Soul Man, and... It, mm, not impressive. <laughs> All right, so uh, kind of to take so that... I, I, anyway, you know, I, I, I don't think James, having James Earl Jones in the, uh, in the movie lends, its, lends itself to any sort of credibility mm-hmm. in any way. I think it's just he's an actor in the movie. You know, right. But I do yeah. wonder if it's if at some point if this was if this is something that is so as I've read in in a couple places and and from these other podcasts they're like, oh my god, if this is so blatantly racist, I don't know how anybody this should be buried and never see the light of day. If it's that strong, if it's that big of a wrong, then I feel like several people involved in this movie at some point in time probably should have or could have said. Yeah, I'm not doing this. Yeah. But, you know, I, again, we don't know what happened, you know, with the making of the movie and how much maybe they didn't realize what scenes were going to be in this movie until the whole thing was done and edited and put together. And Yeah. yeah. And, you know, there was another article I read, and they were, um, they were talking about it, and they kind of described it like a minefield. Anytime you do this kind of a content. Uh, and they said... Okay, so let's say you're going to make this movie, and boy, what a great way to, you know, white person uh, has to live, walk in, the, walk in the shoes of a black person. This is going to be a really powerful movie. So what do you do? Uh, the main character is wearing blackface, which, you know, obviously hasn't been used since back in the 20s and the 30s, but it's still, it has some pretty heavy racist overtones. So you're already walking into the minefield. Okay, and then and the, the article, and I've been kind of searching for it, and I haven't been able to find it, but the article went on to list, you know, the way the movie went about doing things, and, and they kind of listed, well, they could have done it this way, but uh, that gets a little dicey. They're going to do it this way, and uh, that gets a little dicey. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's hard, and that's where you kind of, well, what could you have done differently? I think it's any which way you go when you're dealing with this Topic matter. It's like the article said. You're walking into a, you're walking into a minefield, yeah. and you just have to kind of choose which which way are you going to go. You could have gone more serious. You might have upset the, uh, you know, Animal House, uh, um, uh, uh, Fletch. Uh, you know that the people that like comedies. You maybe would have upset them more, but maybe you would have made a more powerful movie. Okay. So maybe that would have been a slightly better direction. And it's, it's really hard to say. I, I don't know that there is any right answer just because any which way you go, you're going to be, you're, you know, you're going to be, uh, uh, you know, treading on thin ice. Right. Mm-hmm. So right. It's, it's, it, would be a, it would be a tricky thing doing this. Yeah. I, yeah, it, but look at, look at Robbie, uh, Robert Downey Jr. in um, Tropic Thunder. I, I was going to bring that up, yeah. He did, I haven't seen that, so I go ahead and he he did the same thing, and he wasn't lauded for it. At least I I don't remember there being any backlash 
towards him or towards that movie because of it. Not really. I and I think I read something on that, and they said that it was because it was a because it was more of a poking fun at the historic use of blackface in Hollywood that that's why it wasn't as much of a big deal as, as say this movie. That because it was more. I think, I, I think that's a slippery slope too. Because well, right. then you're saying, well, you know, this it's blackface okay counts, this but case, this blackface but... doesn't. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. Yeah. Um, well, then that's where that's where it honestly, I think it goes back to Jeff the point that you made very eloquently at the beginning of this movie. None of us have really had to deal with racism, been on the receiving end of it. None of you know, I mean, and so mm-hmm. it's really hard to say now. And that, and in no way does that invalidate someone if someone says, "Hey, that offends me." I mean, we can't say, "Well, no, it shouldn't." Just get over. It. I mean, we can't right. Right. say that because that is not our life experience. So I, I think. You know, we're just looping around that, you know, it's hard making a, a movie. It's now, hard making a movie like this because, you know. The one thing that they did do in the end, at the end of the movie that I did appreciate was that when James Earl Jones is sitting him down and they're going over what his punishment is going to be for having, you know, defrauded everybody, um, you know, James Earl Jones makes the comment and says, you know, you've, you've learned a, a bit more than you bargained for. You've learned what it means to be black. And what I did appreciate that he did say was, no, I did not learn what it meant to be black because at any point in time I could have gotten out. At any point in time I could have gone back to being white. So, no, I didn't learn. Now, had he said that, I would have thought, is nope, you're done. You've, you've done this the wrong way. As if he was like, yeah, I totally learned what it's like to be black. But instead, to, to their credit, to the writer's credit, to whoever's credit that, that had that part in there, he actually said, no. I have not learned what it's really like to have that as my life experience because at any point in time I could have just gone back to, you know, I, I didn't grow up that way. I didn't live that way. That wasn't my life up to this point. I don't have a series of life experiences that have led me to but understand that, what it's like to that be line, That line seems so out of place, though, because the half hour, 45 minutes leading up to it became so nonsensical and so farcical that all of a sudden you're taken out of it. Now, had the movie kept the tone that it, it was going, uh, or, or the, the tone that it was at, uh, <clears throat> the more that Mark was learning about what uh, what black people had to, had to face. Right. And then he dropped that line at the end. That could have been a, a, a stronger fitting line. Oh, I, but, I agree with you. That yeah, could have been stronger. And, 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 and I, I hate, you know, I don't want to beat a dead horse, but I go back to the fact that because they didn't decide to really delve into the issues, that line almost is meaningless in this movie because, you know, okay, so you could change back, but how does that possibility of changing back to a white person make you fail at the experiences that you had? Let's delve into that. Why weren't your experiences in your eyes then true uh, true experiences for a black person? It's a nice line, but again, there's no th- there's no content to or, or or anything in the movie really to support it. Well, I think if you throw out the comedy of errors stuff, and and I think that's what we're talking about that that it got too much into that whole farcical comedy of errors back and forth mm-hmm. crap. Um, 
I think I think what still what lets that line work for me at the end of the movie is that he got to know Sarah. You know, beyond the other beyond other girls that he's dated where it was just a, you know, a quick thing. I think the fact that he actually took that he he got to know her and I'm not saying that they did it perfectly in the movie, but that he got to know her and he got to know her as someone of another race and that she's a person and not just someone with another color skin. To me, that's why in some ways that line still works at the end of the movie is because he did, I think he felt like he did learn something more so than anybody else, any other character in the movie did. And that that's why that line for me still holds some meaning to it. Again, I agree with you that the whole comedy of errors stuff, the, the like college humor, funny movie type thing that breaks up what could have been a semi-decent mixture of a comedy movie with a deeper meaning. Um, but I still, I, I do still appreciate that that line went into the end of the movie. All I'm saying is that's where they would have lost me if that line wasn't there. Now, if, if there had been some sort of viable threat to him uh, because of his interest in Sarah and he pursued it anyway, knowing what the threat could have been or knowing what the threat was, that would have lent it a little bit more credibility. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know? well, and I, I think there are... Like, I, I, I know it's coming my way for doing this, but I don't care. I, I've learned so much that I'm willing to take that chance because the the basis of the threats is all crap. Mm-hmm. Well, and that's where it's the whole not, idea it's of not, the... It's not real life. Right. And the whole idea of the... the interracial relationship at the end of the movie, you know, that could have been something that they delved into, but it was coming at the very end of the movie and there wasn't any opportunity to really get into that. That, and I think that's something that maybe when I was watching the Siskel and Ebert review of it, I think they mentioned that as well. They're like, well, that would have been an interesting, interesting thing to talk about was to actually go into more of the idea of here they are at the end of the movie and they're, potentially entering into this interracial relationship, let's see more of that. Like, let's make that something that is one of the themes of the movie, but it's coming right there at the very end as they're walking off into the sunset. Yeah. Yeah, I I think, uh, you know, might be jumping the gun on the question here, but I think, you know, one of the, one of the things you mentioned is, okay, well, how can you do this movie in a more successful way? Maybe you just avoid the whole blackface thing. Maybe you avoid the whole, you know, he overdosed on tanning pills thing. And maybe you make it that he got accepted to Harvard, his dad's paying his way, his best friend's dad is saying, well, I'm not going to pay for you. Uh, you know, or maybe his best friend didn't get in, and, you know, now his roommate or now the guy living across the hall in the apartment or whatever was someone that got in because of a, uh, an affirmative action quota or something, or he was the scholarship winner or something like that. So maybe that would have been an interesting premise in terms of, you know, exploring some of these things and, and, and you could have seen how do they interact in the beginning and then how do they, you know, maybe grow to become friends or something like that. I'm not a movie writer, so, you know, you'd have to yeah. talk to someone that is to smooth over the rough edges in that, but I think that would be a way to make this story less comedic, less silly, less offensive in some ways, and then really delve into these issues that I think we all, you know, as a society, we need to do. I mean, okay, 
your best friend didn't make it in for whatever reason. Here's this person that did. So, you know, let's try and find out about their life experiences. You know, the, the interracial, um, interracial dating. It would have been really interesting to see that, that uh, dinner scene that he had when he went to Leslie Nielsen's family when maybe he went out with uh, um, Radon Chong's family. Yeah. Okay. Maybe, you know, see, see that kind of thing. Um, and, you know, and there'd be in any number of ways to do that. And I, I think one of the things that weakened that dinner scene, I thought that was a wonderful scene or had the potential to be a wonderful scene. But I think what, what weakened that dinner scene is that, you know, the people at that, the people at that table were blatantly racist. Even the girl that was trying to jump in bed with him, I mean, they, they, they were blatantly racist people. They, I mean, the one guy was like, you know, he called the landlord. He didn't want black people living in the apartment. And I, I mean, it was so obvious. I think what would be much more powerful is have it be a table of people that did not perceive themselves to be racist. And then it's those things in the back of their minds that, you know, well, I'm not a racist person, but you're going to make these assumptions. I think that would make, would ring a little bit stronger and would have a more powerful message. And I think it would be a little bit more, uh, you know, it, it would it would fit more with, with the audiences that are out there. Yeah. I mean, you know, the only people that are really blatantly racist and claim it that is, you know, the Ku Klux Klan and, and the, uh, you know, White Pride and all those other garbage groups that are out there. Everyone else, well, I'm not a racist. Right. Well, but, and the, and the but, only people... What's in the back of your mind? And I think that if they could have brought that out, I think, the only, you know, you're the not only a racist people, person, but maybe some of your assumptions are. The only people in this movie that I think were openly racist were the uh, the football fans that were in the jail cell with him. That was what? The football fans that were in the jail cell with him, those were the only guys that were like, yeah, we're racist. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, okay, I've got, I got one more question because I know we're, we're kind of running a little long on time here. So i got one more question for us. But before that, um, I did want to say there were a couple places where I read some stuff and they said, you know, this movie was really hard to find. Um, and it was. Like trying to find a copy of this movie was difficult. And a couple of sites said, good, like this thing should be buried and nobody should ever see it. Um, but the funny thing is the, the one place where unless you're going to go buy this on Amazon or somewhere like that, the one other place that you could find this movie legally was on a website called the Urban Movie Channel, which is supposed to be a Netflix for African-American audiences. So I thought mm. that that was interesting that this movie shows up, that, that that's the one, other than to go buy it on Amazon, the one legal place that you can go see this is on the Urban Movie Channel. So that that was kind of interesting that there then is at least some kind of interest in watching this as you know for its take on things i i don't know so uh but i just i kind of thought that was an interesting place to find this movie so my last question for us is um kind of maybe getting away from this movie a little bit is there ever been a time where you've watched a comedy that's dealt with a deeper issue and it's done it well so one of the things we've kind of talked about a little bit is Maybe maybe you could do this with a comedy, but you gotta tread lightly or tread carefully on this. Um, Pat, you brought up the point that it's like it, it's like a minefield. If you do this, if you go the wrong direction, you know either way you go could explode in your face. So can you can you think of a time where you've watched a comedy that's dealt with a heavier issue and it's done it well? 
And I will say, I think the one I will pick will be Forrest Gump. I think the movie you, dealt with... You would consider that to be a comedy? Forrest Gump? Yeah. Yeah, I'd, I'd list that under comedy. I mean, it's a drama as well, but I think there's enough comedic moments in it that I would list that under a, a comedy. No, it's it's not like you know slapsticky or anything right. like that, but I think of it as a drama comedy. Now, can you uh, can you can you count like uh, documentaries into this? I guess so. Sure. If I think I think if you if you watch have you guys seen the original Kings of Comedy? No. It's absolutely hilarious. But it's um Bernie Mac. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I saw that. Uh Cedric the Entertainer, um DL Hughley, and Steve Harvey. Steve Harvey. And some of their bits that they get in there, um, they bring up I think they bring up a whole lot of uh, uh race. And I think they do it in a comedic way, but it kind of shines the light a little bit, you know? Um, well, and, and I mean, that's one thing that kind of stand-up comics are, are known for is is to bring up issues like that and to do it in a funny way. And, and you know, I think a lot of times it seems like they do it fairly successfully. Mm-hmm. But in terms of movies, can you think of a movie that has tackled a heavy subject or heavier subject and has done it in a way that you feel like it did it successfully, but still retained its status as a comedy. I don't know. I mean, anything I'd say that come to mind is kind of like when you listed Forrest Gump, whereas, you know, Jeff said, is that really a comedy? Um, you know, I think um, Inglorious Bastards. I mean, there was some stuff that, you know, it's pretty dark, but it kind of made you laugh and, and do all that. And I mean, you know, you're taking a look at war with that thing. Right. But I mean, I, but I don't know. I think that's kind of a stretch for the question because I don't think that movie would be listed under comedy. No, but, I'm sure I have seen, you know, I'm, there, there's got to be a couple movies out of all the movies I've seen right. that, uh, that could answer your question. I can't come up with any of them. I'd have to really think about it and look at some movie lists and such. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I just wonder, that's... you know, because I, I, I think it's it's got to be a tough thing to do. It's got to be a tough thing to try to balance that comedic aspect with trying to say, okay, we're gonna we're gonna present this to an audience, but we have to do it very carefully, otherwise we lose them. And I, I think that's maybe the the downfall of this movie. If there's a downfall to this movie, then I think that's it. I think it's maybe they tried to, and that's that's kind of the the stance I take on this one, is that I think they tried. And I think that they just did not, they didn't have it. They didn't hit the sweet spot. Mm-hmm. And the other thing, you know, when you make comedy movies, and, you know, this was kind of the thing that I I, um, I got a little heated, shall we say, when we were talking about the Three Amigos and we were talking about the critical response to that. And I, I said, you know, it's... It seems to me it's real easy to poke holes in a comedy and say, oh, that's just slapstick, or oh, that's just this, or oh, it's just that. You ever try to make someone laugh for an hour and a half? <laughs> I mean, that's that's not easy to do. Right. And so I think what happens a lot of times in comedies, and why maybe stand-up comedians have a little bit more success talking about serious issues in a comedic way, is that they know what they're doing. A stand-up comedian knows what they're doing. When you have a really good comedy... 
and you get someone like a Chevy Chase or a Steve Martin or something like that in there, they know how to do comedy. They know how to do a scene. They know how to do looks or delivery and all that. That whatever the movie's about, you're going to laugh because it's them. Eddie Murphy's another perfect example of that. In this movie, you kind of had to rely on the writing. So, because, I mean, I don't think any of these uh, characters in here would be ones that, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think any of the characters in here would be ones that you'd see in a sketch comedy show or on a stand-up stage or, you know, any of that kind of thing. So then if it's going to be lighthearted and comedic and you're putting quote-unquote regular actors in there, you're really going to have to rely on the story to bring it out. And then you're back to the conundrum of, how do you tell something that's really heavy duty with a light touch? It, it just—it's kind of like oil and water. It just doesn't—it just doesn't seem to, to to mesh. I just pulled up a list of uh, of some movies, and looking at this list, I was just like, oh, I can't believe I didn't think of that. So one of them being Dogma. Okay. Yeah. And Blazing Saddles. Yeah. Yeah, uh, Blazing Saddles is a good one. Mm-hmm. I think I think that's a, a great example of a com- uh, a comedic movie that can deal with uh, deal with with, with race issues or <clears throat> some sort of serious issue. Yeah. Um, Dog was a good one, like a good example with that. Yeah. How about Borat? Never saw it. Was that? I never saw it. Okay. Yeah, no, I never yeah. saw Borat. Too. I feel, I feel like I know the movie because, um, in teaching right around the time that you know teaching junior high kids around about the time it came out, I feel like they quoted every line of the movie. But yeah, it's it's I, that one. Yeah, I mean, if you haven't seen it, then you know it's kind of hard to have the discussion. But you know that's interesting because I mean, Sasha Baron Cohen, he's a really funny guy, and when you watch that movie, it's like, why? I mean, that's. You know, in one sense, if you look at it on the surface, it's like, wow, that's really, that's just stupid humor, and you have a bunch of 13-year-olds that don't get anything. And I believe that it was Dennis that said, why would you, you know, told some of his students, why would you want to go see that movie? You're only, you're not even going to understand it. You're going to laugh when he uses bad, you know, foul language. Go see that movie four years when he had a little bit more life experience, and you can understand what and how he's trying to, you know, what he's actually trying to portray. So that... That might be another one, but again. So a, a couple other movies on this list. Um, so going way back, uh, The Great Dictator, the Charlie Chaplin film. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, Life is Beautiful. Oh, that's a good the, one. The uh, Roberto Benigni. Yeah. Uh, a comedic film about the Holocaust. Yeah. yeah. And then it says pretty... Pretty much every Monty Python film. <clears throat> yeah, can't can't get much much heavier than the Holocaust. Oh, and that's the line that uh, Dennis decides to jump in on. Hey! So we all so, right. So now that you've now that you've joined us, now that we've been going at this for about an hour, um, <clears throat> all right. So Dennis, I'll, I'll real quickly run back through and ask you some of the same questions we kind of came came along with. Um, right. You know, is this? We, we talked about the idea of obviously we can't. We can't say whether or not this movie is offensive because it's not for us to say because you know, we, we made the, the comment that it's like the three amigos walking into the bar and saying, we're not Mexicans, um, but in our case, we're not African-Americans. Given that and, and given 
what we thought maybe this movie was trying to do. Is this movie something that is racist? Is this movie trying to get at a deeper message and just miss the mark? What do you think? I, th- I think the second option, I, it's, that's one of the things I want to make sure I was able to get on at least and say. I, I think that it, it, its intentions are totally good. I don't think it, they meant to, to be offensive or racist. I think for a lot of people it might have been a shock to do that. I don't think that was their goal. I think their goal was to kind of, hey, here's this comedy, rap with an important message. However, I think it got too, almost too silly at times that it it lost its – it may be in the hands of a different director – I think, or an even a different actor, like I think maybe would have Tom Hanks pulled that off. Would have, it didn't have the right tone to get the message that I think it wanted to. But I think it was this whole, like even the, the closing, I mean, you know, where he, I think he said that, you know, he, he could have been white at any time. I think that's an important message, basically saying that even though he had blackface on, he could never really experience it because he could, he could always, he could, he could always go back to be, he's always white. Ultimately, he's always white. You know, and he just has this this outer appearance. But that's that that was my take on it. Was that um, the intentions were good? It tried to be too funny or tried to be too silly, and therefore it comes across as offensive, as opposed to um, playing it, toning it down a little bit. And I think then, you know, it might have worked a little bit better. That's just my my reaction. I don't know what was really quick summing. Did you guys? I mean, I'll play it back and listen to the podcast. But what was the quick uh, take on you guys with that? Uh, Dennis, basically, you and I said the exact same thing. Okay. I was kind of going along the uh, going along that same that same path that you know if if they're gonna walk that line and you know if if they're gonna walk that line to introduce some of the issues, then let's get down to the issues. Let's not tiptoe around tiptoe around sensitive racial issues. Otherwise, what's the point of making the movie? Okay. Well, I think I don't know. Did they take try to take the approach like, you know, like Tootsie was really, you know, like what Tootsie was about, um, sort of the same thing where a guy takes on the role of a woman and you know, and discrimination or or um, or the the kind of the the issues that a woman faces in the working world. You know, did that did that succeed? Everybody, I think, says for the most part, yes. So I think that's maybe why they're they're looking at, oh, if we do this with race, can be sort of. I, I kind of liken it to the same tone of that, um, but not the same result for whatever reason. Again, did you guys bring up Tootsie at all or no? We did. No, we, men- did. we mentioned at the beginning that there were kind okay. of similar themes to Tootsie and Bosom Buddies. That you had kind of the same, okay. almost kind of like comedy of errors type stuff where it's. You know, it, it's almost like the the scenes in Mrs. Doubtfire when he's running back and forth, you know, trying Doubtfire to, too, yeah. yeah. So I think what we kind of came up with was the whole comedy of errors stuff might have been what killed the movie. You know, if there was a downfall to it, that it was too much of that stuff um, that really got away with. And I, Jeff, I think that you can, you can correct me if I'm wrong here, but I think that's what you were trying to say is there was that stuff interrupted too much from getting deeper into yeah. the racial discussion. It felt like it wanted to be. I mean, if it didn't decide, it decided it wanted to be a comedy with some dramatic points in it versus a drama with some comedic points in it, and that's the way they went with it, and it didn't work. I think another movie I think of that I always go, well, this could have been really powerful um, or a really good film, and could have possibly won. And, and I'm not saying it's a bad film, but it's just not. Would be Django Unchained, all right? Um, I think the the Quentin Tarantino 
type of style of directing with the little funny bit with the you know the, the Ku Klux Klan guys with all the different stuff in there um, and the little comic jokes here and there totally made that and the excess, excessive violence in there too um, watered down the power of that with that movie I think in a different different hands a different director style and I'm not saying he should veer from his style I'm just saying that's that story could have been very powerful as well dealing with race and dealing with the, the whole slavery issue um, but I think that it uh, Quentin Tarantino style makes it lose some of that punch mm. and so that's what kind of what we were running through was we were saying there were a few of them uh, Jeff had you brought up that list you'd mentioned dogma um, you had mentioned the great dictator um, yeah you'd mentioned life is beautiful and, and there were a couple of other life ones. is beautiful would be the one that I think the most but mm-hmm. but even then that always I, I felt it be it, it it didn't necessarily. It wasn't. It had silly sort of like stuff in it, but it was. It just always had a certain heart and warmth to it that was always present in um, in his style. That I think that it's didn't play off the same way. So again, tone is everything, and I think that this just had the more comedic tone. Where, you know, I don't know. That's just my my feel on it. But yeah, Life is Beautiful is a perfect example. I think. Like I love that movie when I saw that. I saw it in the theater. Before everybody else kind of saw it, it was one of these, oh, let's go try to check out this movie. And I was just, I remember the impact it had on. It was very sweet. It was funny, but it was, which also made the sad parts even more, you know, heart-wrenching and stuff with the end and the sacrifice for his child. And, mm-hmm. and they actually wow. felt kind of good in the end. So I think it, it played it all right, and that's why it's an Academy Award-winning film. That's why Soul Man isn't. What would be, if you had a one-sentence summary to share with somebody that was thinking of seeing this movie, what would your one sentence summary be? And I'll go ahead and I'll go ahead and start with mine and give you guys a little bit of time to think if you need to think about it. My one sentence summary for this one would be it's I don't think it's as bad as a lot of people say it is. I think it's a movie that's worth watching if for nothing more than to bring up this topic and to start some discussions on it. I, I don't think that it hits the mark exactly. But I don't think it's a movie that necessarily needs to be buried and forgotten forever. I would say, movie that attempts to explore race relations falls woefully short. I kind of want to combine both of yours. Really, <laughs> it's it. The movie didn't hit its mark. I see, what you, I see what you did there because the guy's name is Mark. Ah, hey, how hey. about that? The movie didn't hit its mark, but upon viewing it, warrants conversation um i'd say yeah it's worth the watch but know that while it has good intentions forgive the tone which loses its uh, good intentions for this film when watching it okay all right so overall i think we've we've said that the movie is you know at least worth giving giving it a a, a watch you know it may not be the best movie that's ever been made but Give it a watch and check it out. Um, you have been listening to the 30-something movie podcast. Thank you for joining us. Um, how can you get in touch with us? If you have totally disagreed with or agreed with some of the things that we've said and you'd like to get in touch with us, you could tweet us at 30podcast. That's at 30podcast. You could email us 30podcast, 30podcast at gmail.com. Like us on Facebook, facebook.com slash 30podcast. You can give us a call, 872-35-MOVIE. That's 872-356-6843. Listen and sponsor us, uh, the30podcast.podbean.com. Click on the Be My Patron link to donate to the show. Uh, You can listen to us through Stitcher Radio, the Satchel Podcast app, 
Google Play Podcasts, which is coming soon, and obviously by subscribing to us in the iTunes Store. And again, if you could take a moment, go over to the iTunes Store and leave us a rating there. We would appreciate that. Uh, let us know if there's stuff that we haven't talked about that you'd like to hear, um, stuff that we're doing that you love, stuff that we're doing that you don't love. Just let us know. But we would love to hear from you. Next episode, next time we're around, uh, next week, we will be bringing you, uh, we're actually going to be holding you hostage for another episode of the 30-something movie podcast. Your only hope will be Lee Marvin and Chuck Norris. That's right, it's going to be Delta Force. So buckle up, it's going to be a bumpy ride. All right, thank you, gentlemen. Yep, you're welcome. You're, you're welcome. <laughs> Thanks, John. <laughs> All right. And that'll do it for this show of the 30-something movie podcast. Join us next time. We'll be talking about Delta Force. <laughs>